have on the table today the topic slave food versus food master weaponization of food again slave food versus food master weaponization of food that's on the table today okay i had to help somebody out there all right so that's what's on the table today that's on the table <laughs> pastor now, henry i get, get the other side upset <laughs> yeah <laughs> somebody ah. just made somebody lose their appetite <laughs> but pastor wade who's who do we have at the table today man and i tell you um we have been actually uh when we we've been looking to do this show for some time and uh we had to make some adjustments with the schedule but we have, I want to say, I, if I may call them, uh, two good friends of us, colleagues. They, uh, they, um, they are alumnus of our school, Oakwood University, or college, but Oakwood University now. And uh, we have with us, all the way from the West Coast, Dr. Columbus Baptiste, and from the East Coast, Dr. Eric Walsh. Let's give them uh, 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 a virtual applause as they come on to be with us. Um, and they'll talk a little bit about the, the project they're in, but we're just so happy to have them here with us as we delve into this wonderful topic. All right. Hey, listen, I, I got to admit, I, 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 I'm excited, like extra excited about this topic and this discussion today. Um, we've had some great discussions on the roundtable. I, I, I am. I'm just really anxious to hop into this. But before we do that, we need you to stop right now. Hit that like right. button. Hit that share button. Share this. Tag somebody that, you know, um, needs to hear this. We need you to do this. Help us get this word out. That's going to come out today. So hit that share button. Share Share it to a group that you're in. Share it to a page that you may have subscribed to or that you may have. Um, tag some friends. Just type their names in. Get them here because they don't want to miss what's about to happen here today. So just before we begin, we're going to ask Dr. Henry if you would just uh, offer a word of prayer. And we're going to jump on in and, and introduce you or, or, or let our guest have, have a go at it. Go ahead, Dr. Henry. All right. Let's, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for another time that you've given us to discuss these issues that impact us and impact the mission. We ask that the discussion today, Lord, will be fruitful. <laughs> we also ask God that we will all understand that you have a plan for our lives and we need to submit ourselves to you so that we could be better instruments to carry out your divine mission. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. <laughs> amen. amen. All right. right, Dr. Baptiste, Dr. Walsh, what a privilege and honor it is for us to have you with us today. Dr. Baptiste, I heard your name quite often when I was a student at Oakwood College back in the 1900s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we want you just to tell us, just, you, we're going to give you 40.3 seconds to just give us a little synopsis. Where are you? What are you doing? Who, do you, who are you? What do you want to say? You can say hello to grandma, 40 seconds to do whatever you want, and you can start right now. All right. Appreciate y'all. I love exactly what you're doing. I am a proud alumnus of Oakland University, and that's where I met the love of my life, Danette Lala Batiste. And so I, uh, it's a pleasure to be here with you all, and I'm, I'm passionate about what we're going to talk about today. So I'm looking forward to diving in and getting more into it. 
All right. And then we also have Dr. Eric Walsh. Um, Eric, if you've been anywhere around Adventism, Oakwoodite, you know Dr. Walsh. Um, Dr. Walsh, we're going to give you 39.8. Well, Eric's a preacher, so I got to give him 31.7 seconds because I know he's going to take some extra. You might want to give him 20 seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Eric, the time is yours, man. Let me just, I, I, I'm um, also, man, the only thing that matters to me is that I spent four of the best years of my life at Oakwood University and was established in my knowledge of God and my relationship with him. Everything after that is fluff. Um, and I'm honored to work with Dr. Batiste as we really try and see what we can do to transform the lives of individuals around food and lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow. All right. Y'all got me already, so we're looking forward to it. Hold uh, on, we're, look, we're looking forward for this one. Yeah, well, I remember when I was a young boy at, at the church there growing up in New York, they asked me, do I live to eat or, or eat to live? I couldn't answer the question. So <laughs> hopefully it'll help me today. <laughs> All righty. All right, Dr. well, Henry. Dr. Henry's going to lead us off today, so let's uh, let's jump on in, gentlemen. Our, our folk are anxious. Listen, thank you all again for coming on this discussion. We're privileged and we want to start off with a light question, but an interesting question. Uh, both of you all are in the field of medicine. I mean, you're in the health field and not only in the health field, but you're medical doctors. So we know there's four years and there's another, what, three to four years medical school. Then there's residency and then the specialty. And so what what you know the question says what motivated you but what possessed you to go into, <laughs> to go into medical school and to become where you are or to do what you're doing now both of y'all can answer the question <laughs> go ahead columbus all right I'll, I'll i'll jump in you know growing up i was i'm i'm the youngest of five kids and my dad basically laid down the law he said either you're going to be a doctor you're going to be a lawyer or you're going to be a business person. He did throw a fourth one in there in terms of a preacher, but I chose the, uh, the route of being a doctor now. The, uh, but, but the truth be told, that was the easy part. The transition into, into lifestyle medicine and really impacting people before disease actually manifests itself was really truly the challenge in terms of transitioning my career. And that was something that was born out of life experiences with my family, like other many families around us, experiencing chronic disease that just ravages our, our communities unnecessarily. And that's really what, what propagated me into this area. Mm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, I, I would say that for me, I have an inherent love for science um, since I was just a kid. I mean, I used to, my mother wouldn't buy uh, cable television when we were a kid we had a black and white tv long after it was color uh, well into the 90 i think it's a 19, 19 at least the mid 80s and um what my mother did spend her money on was the encyclopedia britannica and um because of that i was able to really i would just sit and read the encyclopedia sometimes as my in a sense like entertainment there was nothing else to do um so uh, I, that part of it, and then I, I developed an activism. I experienced mm. pretty intense um, racism in high school. Mm. I went to um, a high school in Miami. I moved from Connecticut to Miami when I was in the 10th grade. And the first day I went into the bathroom at the school, there was a picture. Someone had drawn a picture on the wall of the bathroom of an ape with a noose around its neck. And underneath it said, N-words, go back mm. to Africa. 
Um, and I heard the word, the, the N word for the next two and a half years pretty consistently and regularly. I always tell you, I always say if I had five dollars for every time somebody called me the N word when I was in high school, I could have paid for Oakwood cash. Um <laughs> wow. and um even the teachers, other students, um I remember when Doug Williams was playing in the Super Bowl, there was a conversation in one of our classes around black people not being smart enough to play the position of quarterback. Um and I remember Doug Williams going out and smashing every single Super Bowl record. And at that point I learned you know, as a black man, I'm not, I don't worry about, I have my favorite teams, but I'm far more concerned with um, what sports means to greater society in a sense. And you mix science, the love of science with the love of, you know, activism and medicine is one of the places you can fall. Um, it's a place where you can actually make a big impact on a society. And once I got into medicine, I found that public health was kind of a subset that actually even made that broader and more possible. So I am, you know, so for those reasons, I landed where I, I did. And like Dr. Batiste said, as I learned this Adventist message all my life around health and got older, I realized that in medicine, this is lacking. Mm. In fact, in medicine, a lot of times we're actually giving people the exact wrong information um, and causing disease rather than curing it. Um, and then wow. you look at the disparities mm. in health that black people suffer from. And that's why we're here, where we are now. Mm. Wow. And, and that's interesting that you that you mentioned that, because, um, again, not just being in the medical field and being a, a licensed medical doctor, but taking it a step further and saying, wait a minute, there's a lifestyle that needs to be attached to that. So you're just not coming in and, and giving conventional medicine, but you're saying, hey, let's do some preventive care. What's the difference now um, as a, a as a medical doctor? Hmm. Focusing on the preventive care when there is a lot of pressure for you to just do the conventional form of uh, care. Well, I'm going I'm to jump in here first, you know, Dr. Henry. I mean, here's the thing is that I believe there is no such thing as prevention. There is only intervention. When we live in a society where we know that heart disease begins before the age of 10, when we know that we realize that people in their teens and 20s may have 70, 80, 90 percent blockages in their arteries, when we know that 40% of women have microscopic breast cancer cells by the age of 40. Wow. We know that we're in this constant struggle, very mm -hmm. much similar to a spiritual realm against health, illness versus wellness. And so we're either feeding the, the our, we, we like to say something called feeding the strength to fight. We're either mm -hmm. doing that consistently in every aspect of our life or we're not doing it. So for physicians to separate out what we call conventional medicine from alternative medicine is foolery. Mm. Yeah, yeah and, and, I, and, I, and I, would, I would just jump in and say that, unfortunately, in medical school, you get very little nutritional education. I took a class, I took a couple classes at Oakwood that actually helped me out a lot. I took a vegetarian cooking class in my senior year, um, which was awesome. I was the only guy in the class. And every time we, you know, we were able to cook and then eat, it was phenomenal. <laughs> you know, um, one of the best classes I took at Oakwood. I took, but also I took um, the nutrition class with, I think his name was Dr. Uh, Shaw, I think his name was. And, um, you know, he was one of the first people I heard really speaking to some of this. And he didn't have the science that we have now. I mean, a lot of it didn't exist then, but he was passionate about it. And I want to say that I also I also um, took a lot of theology or took a few theology classes when I was at Oakwood. Um, 
And I, one of the things that began to really strike me was something Dr. E. e. Cleveland said in one of my classes. He said, I'm not a vegetarian because, so that, um, t- because it's going to get me into heaven. I'm a vegetarian because, because I want to stay alive longer to help get more of y'all into heaven. Um, wow. And that perspective was mind-blowing. And then I really, you know, later on really began to study and found spirituality and health are so intricately um, entwined. The way, you know, the most holy chamber of the body is the frontal lobe. If your body is a temple, then the frontal lobe of your brain is um, the most holy place. And when you look at how restricted the most holy place was, how often the priest could go in once a year, special clothes he had to wear to get in there, um, and what happened in there, that sin was removed permanently in that chamber. This literally is what our, what our frontal lobe is. And when you study medicine, what you realize is every part of your body, from your hands to your liver to your kidney to your gallbladder to your throat to your stomach, every piece of you exists to support the frontal lobe. That's why it exists, so that you will have character and being and personality. And the only thing you get to take to heaven with you is your character. Wow. So Mm. health is quintessential in the pursuit of the perfection of character that is in Christ Jesus. Mm. Wow. That's fascinating. That's fascinating. So so listen, um, and and, and I think we're going to come back to some of that. But there's this question that, that just... I think anybody sees the title of the show or sees the title of your project that just jumps out. It's slave food. So, so you guys have a project that you started together called the slave food project. And as we, as we look at the title of that, one of the first questions that jumps into my mind is, well, slave food, what did slaves eat? We're going to talk about the project itself in just a minute, but I I just had to jump in and throw that. So when we talk about slave food, what kind of diets did slaves eat? And I guess we're really thinking specifically kind of here in North America, North America and the Caribbean slaves. What, what was their diet like? I'm going to let Eric jump in on that one. He, he phrases it nicely, and now I'm going to follow behind. <laughs> well, let me jump in and say that what the, what, the, what the slave was basically given was a diet to profit the master, a diet to protect the master, and a diet to weaken the slave. So the, when, if you, you have to start there. So the food was given to maximize profits. And that started when I, I, I visited, uh, I, I preached in, Guana, in uh, Ghana and um, went to visit one of the slave castles the day after Melania Trump was there, ironically. Um, and they showed us how they treated the slaves in these small rooms where they'd pack 100, 150 people into very small spaces, throw food into the middle of the room, and only the strongest ones would be able to get to the food. Mm. Those slaves, of course, would be more likely to make it through the door of no return onto a slave ship. Um, on the slave ship, the, the slave master, the, the, uh, the slave ship captain would try and reduce the amount of food given to the slave in order to maximize his profits. Of course, that caused tons of disease. And when we got to North America or the Caribbean, the slave master had the idea that, look, I'm going to eat what's good. And I'm, whatever I don't eat, whatever is actually garbage to me, I'm going to give to the slaves. And so that's how you get chitlings. That's how you get pig's feet. That's how you get chicken feet. That's how you get chicken neck. That's how you get the tail of an ox being curried in the islands. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Don't that, talk about ox tail. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> gotta, gotta do it. Gotta do it. Gotta do it. That's right. Somebody gotta know they're eating a butt of a a butt of a cow and thinking they're eating a delicacy. Listen, all of that uh, stuff, and I, I just that what you just said. I, I grew up in the South. I grew up in Florida. Went to school in Alabama and Tennessee. All of that. 
and all of what you just said is, is and I know I'm, I'm going to let you go again, but it sounds like not slave food, but that sounds like soul food. That's what we call soul food down in the South. And you're calling it not, slave food. So here's what's deep. We're gonna get- this, this is the devil's remix. Right, the devil is a master at telling you you eating. The devil will have you thinking you eating an apple in a garden that's gonna make you a god when it's actually gonna cause the fall of the world. Mercy, and that's what he's done with the food. So you you went into the we go into we come out of the out of slavery eating the intestines of pigs and cows. Uh, black Americans eat chitlins. West Indians eat tripe. So all the West Indians, I don't know exactly what I'm talking about. So you 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 have been convinced that eating the intestines. You 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 no listen, man. Listen, man. Somebody got to sometimes you just got to preach the straight truth. Wow. Um, And so if if you have been convinced that eating the refuse, the garbage that the master said was not fit for consumption of food, you now think it's a delicacy. Now, so what does that do to you? You're eating the least nutritious parts of any animal. The mm-hmm. fact of the matter is, if we had the time, I could break down for you that there is no nutritious part of an animal anyway. And you're eating a part where the part with a literal filth passes through um, and on and on and on. That is slave food. But here's where it gets deep, fellow preachers. This is where it gets deep. It gets deep when you consider that this has not stopped. Mm, wow, All man. through American history, black Americans have always been given the refuse to eat. When we moved from the south to the north or from the islands to the north, all those Jamaicans, Trinidadians, Bayesians, all that moved up to New York and Chicago and Boston, you sat there and you started eating Italian food out of a box and Mexican food out of a box. You started eating the food. The the wealthy person up the street eats once in a blue moon became our regular food. And then you add to that. That in our neighborhoods, after the riots of the 60s, the 68 riots, when, when Nixon made sure to, to put um, small business loans in for, um, for the inner cities, they, what, what did they put in? Did they put in Whole Foods and Stop and Shop and ShopRite and Kroger's and Publix? No, they put in bodegas and corner stores and fast food uh, restaurants. Why? Because they, they have the largest margins. But you notice they are never densely populated in a wealthy suburban area of the United States. Why? Because even that is slave food. That is the rejected high fructose corn syrup. That is the rejected um, corn oils and soy oils. Um, That is the rejected um, uh, genetically modified wheat, white rice, all of this stuff is rejected. The wealthy don't eat that crap. But we eat it, lick our fingers. We eat Takis and hot Cheetos and your children's hands stain red from all the hot Cheetos they've been eating. Imagine what their insides look like. And this is slave food. And slave food is not slave food if the slave doesn't think they're getting a deal and getting a benefit from it. It is not slave food if the slave is not convinced he's getting good food. Wow. And that's what's happened to black America. So our project is called Slave Food because we want to break black america from the idea of slave food when you put up that green food up there a little while ago went from the rib of an animal mm-hmm. which should not be consumed for biblical reasons even if you eat meat the bible makes it clear you're not supposed to eat the fat or the blood of an animal and the science backs that up yet adventists will eat the fat the skin the, but they'll go looking for the fat of the animal and the, and the way that they raise animals in America actually deposits fat in the muscles of the animal. That's why people say, man, I ate that Kentucky Fried Chicken and it melted in my mouth. That is, that, in, in, according to scripture, it's not supposed to melt in your mouth. Wow. But this is where the disease is carried. 
in the saturated fat and in the blood of the animal. We can go deeper into that if you want. But we have been given a message. Just as the, the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, what did they cry for? The flesh pots of Egypt. Mm-hmm. And this is what our people cry for. Even the remnant who know better are crying for the flesh pots of Egypt and saying that when you put manna on the screen, I don't want the manna. I want mm. the flesh pots. Yeah. Let me qu- quickly, uh, before Dr. Baptiste, you mentioned something earlier, Dr. Walsh, about sanctuary and, and cleansing and cleaning the sanctuary, etc., and, and the frontal lobe being that. We often read in Scripture over and over and over and over about it, eating blood and the abomination of, of eating blood. And, and it shall be a perpetual statute throughout all your generations that you eat neither fat and blood, the Leviticus text. Um, but, but you made that correlation to the sanctuary, and it's interesting that correlation between in the sanctuary service when the priest would slay a lamb or a, or a goat or a sacrifice the only time he'd take blood into the sanctuary is when he'd take it in to sprinkle it on the curtain and the blood represented the sin of the people it was repre- and and that curtain was what was cleansed on the day of atonement do you see right. any correlation between that part of the sanctuary service and the entering or putting blood in the body temple as well yes because i believe that the, when you look at the sanctuary uh the first altar you reach is the altar of sacrifice before you get to the golden lavar where you, where the where the washing takes place before you can enter the holy place never mind the most holy place that animal had to be a clean animal you could not put an unclean animal. In fact, the abomination of desolation is that you would put a pig on, on that altar, right? The blood that is supposed to enter your mind is not the blood of a physical animal. It is not the type. It is the antitype. It is the blood of Christ that should be sprinkled, that in, in a sense, that should be applied to us uh, in order to, that sin be washed away. So when we're eating blood, problem, part of the problem is you're eating the, all the impurities of that animal. And what we now know is that even the iron in the animal's blood is poisonous to our bodies. It acts just like a car rusts. That iron comes to your body and it rusts your body on the inside. And this, you can't even, no matter how organically you grow it, no matter if you go to Jamaica and everybody says, but the chicken down here tastes so much better, so much better. It's still going to oxidize. The iron is still going to oxidize you on your insides. So not everything was supposed to enter in. And I think when you look at it, we are, we are in a dangerous place as Adventists because with what we know, we should not have the disease burden we have as a people. Okay. So, Dr. Batiste, I, I, ha- I just kind of diverted there because I popped into mind as you were saying that. But we were talking about just this, you know, what comprised the, the diets of slaves. Um, uh, D- Dr. Walsh, you talked to us about some of the bad things that master would take and, and give to the slaves. But then we look at the slaves and we see they work long hours out in the fields in the hot sun. And, and most of you would think that they ended up still being fairly physically fit, physically strong. Um, h- how did that how did that coincide with food that was given to them from the master? And, and that, how does that comport with what we think of as slaves being physically fit and strong? Strong, etc. Uh, well, that, that's an excellent point. And just to kind of tie up to what Eric was just mentioning, you know, slave food truly is the nutrition is the manipulation of nutrition for profit and for power. That's what we say. So as yep. we speak about slave nutrition being parceled, just enough to keep the slaves alive, but too weak to fight back 
in that transit going across the transatlantic uh, slave trade. Then we realized too as well that even fast forward to modern day, we're seeing the same manifestation that Eric brought out already in terms of the food deserts and the food swamps and the areas we live in that are just sparse of health promoting foods and they're littering us and they're killing us just enough to stay alive, but not enough mm -hmm. to think, not enough mm. to get an upper, uh, upper edge, not enough to go ahead yep. and live beyond the age of 60 to even reap the benefits of retirement. Not enough to go ahead and get generational wealth. Not enough in order for wow. us to go ahead and supply our families. We're talking about men's health right now and people just dropping dead of prostate cancer is riddling our communities, colon cancer killing us at young ages, at every single turn that we look there. And so when we look at this idea of slave food versus soul food and that juxtaposition was brought up already, right? And what is this difference between the two? Soul food is really it's 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 the celebration of the foods that were meant to kill us when it should be more of a remembrance of the effort slave put forth in order to revitalize themselves. The resiliency, because what you're talking about is the resiliency that after working mm. backbreaking labor from dawn up to dawn down, they then went in their backyards to till the ground to pick out the herbs of the earth. Wow the collard greens, the yams that have been dug in and put in there in order to cook them, the okra, the rice, the things of that nature, that they had to go ahead and, and subsidize because they were given a ration of the poorest portion of, of birds and of, of pigs and a few measly portions of cornmeal, and they were treated like dogs. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in the era in Compton. I grew up in Compton, California. And so we had dogs. We had big Doberman, German Shepherd mix. And sad to say, my dogs were not treated the way that we treat dogs nowadays. They didn't have any kind of coats on and special biscuits. What we gave our dogs, and, and the vegans out there who I love y'all, the vegans out there, don't shoot me. But we used to give them the scrapes off of the plate. It didn't matter if there was a little bit of mildew on it. We gave it to them, and they ran around, and they slopped it up. And as you begin to read the history, our history, that's how we were treated. Food was thrown into a trough. You were forced to fight over it and eat with just your hands or just your mouth to get just the right portion that can sustain you. So we need to, to quit focusing on the food that was meant for harm and focus on resiliency, focus on the collard greens, focus on the, the dandelions, focus on all the, 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 the what, do you, what do you call it, Eric, out there, the, the camamu the, or whatever else? The, 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 the root foods. Yeah, root the foods. root foods. And, <laughs> <that's> <laughs> <in> <laughs> See, and I want to jump at the, the last component of slave food that's really important. Somebody, just, you just flashed it on the screen, is that the food that we're given is also designed to make you uh, physiologically enslaved to it. In other words, the food now has been designed so that you'll become addicted to it. Again, as, as, as Columbus said, um, slave food is the manipulation of nutrition for power and for profit. So when they design Doritos and design Hot Cheetos, when they, when they, when they um, make the recipes for Kentucky Fried Chicken, they're not sitting there saying, well, how do we make this food most beneficial to these people? They know who's going to eat it. They know who they advertise it to. We have slides on where the advertising dollars actually go, who watches the most these advertising dollars. These corporations are plantations, church. They wow. literally do not care about mm -hmm. your health. They simply want to make sure you're a slave, that you take your hard-earned money, 
and come back to them over and over again and keep literally buying the food that is going to make you connect to the next plantation, which is the corporations that are pharmaceutical in nature and to the mm. medical industrial complex. So you go from plantation to plantation being holed out like a slave so that your money and your hard-earned uh, you know, wealth that you should be passing on to your children, now, you, I mean, you, one, you're yeah. buying bad food with it, but eventually they're going to get you stuck on food for life. Wow. The food industry is different from the tobacco industry. The tobacco industry went to court and lost because they said cigarettes are not addicting. And they mm. went over and over. They found all the secret documents that said not only do these people know it was addicting, they made menthol cigarettes just for black people to wow. be more addicting and more destructive. They made malt liquor for black people to be more addicting and more destructive, cheaper to make. I mean, let, let, let's just be honest. Then yeah. the food industry says, look, we didn't do that. But what the food industry also does not say is that their product is not addictive. The food industry says, once you pop, you can't stop. The food industry mm. says, bet you can't eat just one. one. Wow. Right? Somebody just put something on there. I can't eat one French fry. No, you cannot eat one French fry because the thing has been designed. And it is the unholy trinity of nutrition. Salt, yes. sugar, sugar, and fat. And when the three yes. things are mixed together, they become addictive. They actually have dopaminergic release in the brain there's the same dopaminergic release like cocaine so that when you when you stressed out from being a black man in america when your boss doesn't treat you like you nobody and your stress levels are through the roof and you go home and somebody slaps that big piece of fried chicken and some fries on and you bite into it you go into a state of nutritional short-term nirvana and you think your problems are solved. But what we learn in addiction medicine is anything that changes your mood can be addicting. So if, if you eat to change your mood, you mm. become addicted to food. Wow. And so we now are slaves to the plantation. And let me throw in cheese because all y'all, any of y'all grew up in America know about government cheese. Y'all know they used to give us blocks of cheese that you could have built a house with or you could make a, <laughs> a grilled cheese sandwich out of. And... That it was the weirdest cheese of all time, but a lot of people don't know it was it was born out of the fact that America was producing too much milk. They had nothing to yes. do with the milk, so the waste parts of the milk that they couldn't use, they 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 reduced into cheese and gave to the poorest people in America. Do y'all get mm. that? And now we know that these cheeses have something in them called casomorphins, literally related to opiates like heroin or or, or or opium. So that when you eat cheese, that's why people say, I could give up meat, but man, I couldn't give up cheese. That's because there's an extra extra chemical addiction. This, this friends, is slave food. Yes. It is food and that is designed to keep you hooked. And that's the crazy part. The crazy part is this, is that the, the nicotine, the tobacco industry, they're in bed with the food industry. Absolutely. So when the tobacco industry started to go ahead and get disbanded, they came in and became owners inside they many of the everything. food industries that were there. And so we have scientists that actually take time to figure out based on gender, based on ethnicity, based upon your age, just the precise amount of sugar, just the right amount of salt, just the right amount that's going to keep you hooked. And they don't call it hooked. They call it heavy users. They, they, wow. they don't call it addicted. They call it the bliss point. That's going to make you come back for more and more. Have you ever wondered why is it when we walk inside neighborhoods that of people who look like us, that at the front you have sodas that, that are like, I have Skittle sodas, or I'm going to have all of these different type of variations that are high sugar filled that are not present in communi other communities. 
and Caucasian communities and, and wealthy communities. And this is where the problem is with slave food, with nutritional stress, is it bears out what we call nutritional stress. And that's what tilts the table towards disease burden in, in America Absolutely. and specifically in our communities. Listen, as you were, as you always sharing this last point about the addiction of food, um, my mind went right back to Worthington and, and Loma Linda and, and these vegetarian meats that when they first came out was supposed to be a bridge. They were to take <laughs> meat to not to a non-meat um, diet, but now so everybody is is hooked that they have to have some kind of vegetarian meat, Big Franks, Linkets, Wham, uh, and, and, and on and on, and we could never get unhooked. But mm. then they began to say that it's full with salt, it's not nutritionally good yeah. for you, and yet still we are still selling tons of these things because we are hooked on on this yeah. so man what 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 an eye opener on that well let me let me let me say there's two yeah. things to say about the, the substitute meat substitutes one of them is in general they actually are still better than meat right so a lot of adventists will say listen that veggie food is bad so i'm gonna keep eating steak well steak is going to kill you because the steak has the iron in it, it has the cholesterol it has the saturated fat um, and it has all of the toxins pollutants hormones all of that stuff that comes goes along with eating meat these food substitutes are not supposed to be permanent food uh, strategies, yeah. as Pastor Wade has pointed out, um, because one thing, they definitely are incredibly high in sodium and high in um, soy protein isolates many of them. As soy is a very good food. People think soy is bad for you. Soy, soy edamame in its, in its raw form, soy is incredibly good for you. But when you isolate and concentrate the proteins, there can be some problems. So I, don't, I, I want people to understand it's better than meat. But it is not the best thing you can eat, um, and so um, it you can be and you can become addicted to it because it's much of it is full of salt, sugar, and fat. When you read the label, I mean, it has the same mix of foods in it to get you to eat it. Mm -hmm. mm, wow. Yeah, no, and I'm just just to add to that is when you know when I'm on call and I'm in the hospital, my job is to take care of heart attack patients, and so I get patients who've come in and they have addictions. One of the addictions is smoking, and so one of the things we don't allow you to do in the hospital is we don't allow you to smoke. Wow. We don't allow you to light up and have a smoke while you have oxygen on you. But what do we do? We put a nicotine patch on you. Mm. Now, that nicotine patch isn't to say that nicotine is helpful for you, but it's better than the cigarette. But it's meant solely to be a transition, that not for you to remain on the nicotine patch for the rest of your life, but to transition off of it. And so that's how we have to look at these meat substitutes, not as a mainstay, but as something that can help us transition, because at the end of the day, our fight is against the standard American diet, mm. also known as the deadly American diet, field mm -hmm. of salt, sugar and fat, highly refined processed foods that that flame the fires of inflammation that mm -hmm. leads to brain issues that lead to heart issues that lead to cancers. And so it doesn't matter if you're going like. I'm vegan, standard American diet style. <laughs> I'm vegetarian, standard American diet style, which means you're frying up your food, right? When you played that intro, we were trying to scratch our heads. Is that veggie meat or is it meat? <laughs> it's either way, it's standard that American diet. <laughs> yeah, it's standard American diet, no matter what, how you flip it. So we have to be able to begin to move away from those things. Well, I was going to say what... what 
okay. what, what, what you saw what you saw frying was a was a beyond burger <laughs> it's, just, it's just beyond not, not not with the ribs sticking out that was something else <laughs> i think we're talking about two different things um but 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 let, but let me say this let me say this um so people ask us what do you eat let's go back in history again and start in africa what you find is that Africa has, is the number one place in the world for super greens. In Jamaica, they eat something called kalaloo. They yes. eat stuff called susumba. Um, in the south here in the States, we have collard greens, turnip greens, spinach, mustard greens. Black people in Africa have the richest sets of greens. And we have, many of us have forfeited our greens, number one. Number two, fruits. Africa is a land of fruits. And the, there are studies that show if you just got everyone in the world to eat the equivalent of five fruits a day, how much disease would be removed from the planet all mm. at once if we could figure out how to do that. So greens and fruits, right? But if you want meat substitutes, um, some people don't like eating mushrooms. Mushrooms, if you eat them, are a very good meat substitute. If you're looking um, at things like jackfruit, jackfruit grows like wildfire in some parts of Jamaica and can grow all over Florida. You can grow jackfruit, pull it, and make meat substitute things out of a plant. Eggplant is another one that you can use and do that. Dr. Batiste actually teaches cooking classes to his patients, so he probably can go a little deeper into that than I can. But what I want to tell you is that when God designed and created man in the garden, everything we needed was in the garden, and you did not need to eat an animal. And you did not eat anything processed. It was all just picked from the tree, and you ate it in the garden. Vegetables were added after we were kicked out of the garden because of sin. Why did you need vegetables and um, um, root foods and stuff after? Because they fed the good bacteria in your gut. Before sin, there was no such thing as bad bacteria. We now know that we have more genetic material in our body from the bacteria in our colons than we have of our own DNA. Most people don't know that. So how you eat determines the mix of bacteria in your colon. That mix will determine your health because those bacteria can break things down, send healthy fatty acids into your body to help you feel full, or they can send um, substances across your gut barrier into your blood that make you inflamed. And I want to yeah. highlight on something Dr. Batiste said. The diet is so important because if your body becomes inflamed due to stress and the quarters, high cortisol levels, or if your body becomes inflamed because of your diet, that inflammation crosses the blood-brain barrier, and we now know literally contributes to the massive amounts of anxiety and depression we see in this country. I want to submit to you that America has a mental health problem because she has a diet problem. And wow. no one is talking about that. And, and so wow. what we're doing is we're legalizing drugs. We're saying, well, in order to deal with these mental health problems, let's legalize marijuana. Oregon just le uh, decriminalized small wow. amounts of heroin, cocaine, <laughs> magic mushrooms, and crystal meth. I want to tell you that you cannot uh, take chemicals to get around what God designed as man left the garden as the way to keep us healthy. The, these fiber-rich foods feed the right bacteria and keep us healthy. Daniel chapter 1 is literally telling you exactly what, how God looks at food. The pulse that Daniel ate translates better to lentils than it does to anything else, which tells you that God then gave you fruit, nuts, seeds, whole grains, vegetables, root foods, and, and beans and legumes. That is the diet, and that is the diet yeah. in Africa. If you're poor in Jamaica, you, you, meat is a delicacy. They're not yes. eating meat three times a day like we do here in America. And most of the world is that way. We have been, and in order to sustain that much meat, they are destroying the literal environment to do it.
They talk all this talk about carbon emissions and cars and and factories. No one is telling you that it is actually the methane from cows and farmed animals that's doing the most damage to the environment. Because those yeah. industries, again, another plantation, the, the meat industry has too much power in Washington. And I, and I hate to break your hearts. It doesn't matter who's elected. At the mm. end of the day, money runs this country. And wow. that's why none of these things change. Mm. Wow. Listen, you, uh, you shared a lot about the types of food we need to eat and that kind of thing. But tell us, what led you to begin the Slave Food Project? What what exactly got to this point, and and what are, what are you trying? What are your objectives with this project? Hmm. You know, I'll jump in first with that. I think one of the things I experienced when I was taking care of patients, and you know, I'm an interventional cardiologist, and so I get paid to put stents in and stop heart attacks in their throats. And what's interesting is, as I started my career, people would ask me. They sat in my office and they'd say, "Well, doc, what should I do? What should I eat? What what's next?" And I had zero education. And so as I began this process, I realized and I learned about nutrition, but I also realized the fact that I can't just get one cookie cutter. One thing that just fits for one, the one group of people is gonna match for a different one. And so I realized that we needed something that was specific to African-Americans. We need to develop something that's specific to the Latino population. It is a consistent message, but something unique. And so Eric and I joined together. I, met, I spoke with him, and I remember looking back through emails. It was around 2016 where we came together, mm -hmm. and we started brainstorming on ideas. And he started bringing in some of the public health aspects. I started bringing in aspects of nutritional stress. And what was born out of it was this platform that now consists of slave food. But as we searched for a name, I remember sitting on, our, so, on my sofa, and all of a sudden, I think, Eric, you said it. You're like, slave food. And I remember my wife was like, yeah, slave food. <laughs> and, then, and then we started kind of going back and forth. And we, started, we were like, slave food, that's it. Because we're, it's not only historical, mm -hmm. it's also an issue that we're enslaved to our environment. How many people have sat there as they go to the grocery store intending to start off? You start the day, I want to live well. I'm going to eat the best life, live my best life ever. By the midday, end of the day, you're right back where you started. You're having the candy bar. You're having the fried foods that you're turning to this, that you're in a sense, you're enslaved as we bring out inside this message. And so that was really the intent. Hmm. So, so I have you um, since started now. When did you start the project? How long ago has the project started yeah the the project actually we started building the platform figuring out so our intent with the platform was that we felt as if number one a book number two i should say number one is a docu-series that's our ultimate goal is to develop a docu-series to bring this to to media and for folks to be able to reach them to reach them outside the church you know one of the biggest things that's a disappointment to me i went to loma linda university and for medical school and i remember rounding with one of the lead authors for the blue zone and and or rather lead authors for adventist health study i remember never once being told about the power of nutrition i remember only being taught about stents and only being taught about medications and so forth 
And so one of the things that I felt was important was that we have to bridge the gap and we need to be able to deliver this to the masses as much as possible. We have to move beyond the Adventist church. No offense, pastors. We need to take this message beyond our walls. Amen. And that's one of our missions is to take it beyond our walls, because I'll be honest, the world has superseded where we started off as leaders in the area of knowledge of nutrition. The message that was given to us, we're no longer the head, we're the foot. Mm. But what I tell people is that's okay. We can still run with the message and we have to. It's upon us. God has put it upon us that we need to run and carry this message throughout the world, emulating what he did when his time here on earth. And so our goal is to develop a docu-series. Our goal is to, to evangelize in terms of the power of nutrition to transform the mind and letting know people this is not just for you to, to not take medications, but to live a life of purpose. Amen. Mm. You know, it's interesting you say that as far as the, the, the world taking the lead on that. I just shared with my with my elders at my church an article that I read that that was showing that the um, a discussion in the federal government, Canadian government, where they are looking at the idea of making all of the shelters, the homeless shelters that they fund plant-based uh, homeless shelters, um, all of the food pantries that they fund, making them food-based because they found that it just supports a greater health among the people that yeah. they are trying to feed as well as it's cheaper for the government. It costs them less because they're not trying to buy the, the meat substitutes and all of those things. Um, so it's just, it's just fascinating to see that it's not just individual secular leftist um, that are jumping on this this lifestyle thing, the vegan thing, plant-based stuff, that now we have federal governments around the world that are looking in and exploring um, that kind of thing. That makes sense because Canada pays for their own health care. So mm -hmm. if you were the Canadian government, you want people to be whole food and plant-based. They understand the science. If, you're, if, you, if, if your tax dollars are paying for people's health, you want people healthy. I, I see a little mm -hmm. island like yeah. Jamaica try and take on giving health to everybody, you know, like, like um, um, a universal health care. But it's trouble if you if, if you have a limited resources like a little island would, like Jamaica does, and then have people eating so that they're going to get disease because you're not going to be able to keep up with disease. If the people ate the way Jamaicans ate, you know, 70 years ago, uh, you'd probably be fine before Kentucky Fried Chicken got on the island and Burger King and McDonald's and stuff. Um, so the Canadian government is smart. And even, I don't know if you guys have heard of Maranatha prisons. There was once a Seventh-day Adventist mm, uh, owned, pr owned prison in Victorville, California. And they had one side of the prison that was all whole food plant-based. I don't like the word vegan because vegan just means, you, yeah. you know, you, you, you take out animal products uh, and pr primarily to, to protect animals so that there's no cruelty and to save the environment, both of which are good things. But we want to save you. You know, we want people saved. Uh, so whole food yeah. plant-based prison. And what they found is that there was less fighting. All of the racial differences and fighting inside the prison went away. The recidivism rate dropped from like 90-something percent to 2%. Only 2% of the, the inmates that had that diet and had that program ever got back into prison, into the, into, came back into, into the penal system. And here's what's crazy. The state of California shut the prison down. Wow. Because wow. another plantation is the prison industrial complex. Whole lot of yes. money is made in the prison industrial complex. So if you found a way to actually change people's lives and behaviors um, by changing their diet and, and resetting that frontal lobe, and allowing them to really yep. understand the spiritual lessons that are often taught in prison and on and many of the academic lessons, they don't want that. 
Yeah, you know, let's just be honest. There are folk who want the prison system packed to its to its to its to its maximum because there's profit yeah. in it. Right. Yeah. Let me ask a question. Um, as you have this project, the slave project, and you present it to other organizations, other churches, um, you're saying that they're embracing this message. Uh, what? Oh uh, yes. Can we can we dive into that just a little bit? Because you're telling them some different things, right? Um, in the Adventist Church, you know, we've heard some of yeah. these things before. I hope, and yeah. we'll go into yeah. that. But, but yeah. you're you're telling them different things, a different concept that's actually changing their whole lifestyle. How how have they? Tell me a little bit about their response. Is it just one presentation, and they're like, "Okay, that's good," or do they want more? Talk to me about that. I'm gonna start. I'll, I'll, you're good. I'll start and let you kind of fill in. You know, I never forget we were given a lecture down in Atlanta and we we're given our seminar, the, the slave food. And we've been invited back to this particular church at least three or four times. And I'll never forget at the end, there was a question and non, answer. Non SDA church. Non SDA. A Sunday church. And so I remember at the end, this one lady in particular, I, I can still picture her face. She stood up and she said, Thank you all, doctors, for what you're saying. She was like, I believe God has kind of put you here. She was like, but for many of us out here, this is the first time we've ever heard this. Hmm. And we want, I want to do it, but I don't even know how to do it. And she said, this is all I, we were taught was one way how to come up eating and to do things. And we didn't know there was a different way. People are hungry out there. People want to see that we care, that we address their needs. I'll never forget that when I sat in my clinic and I was telling someone, about the, the power of nutrition and about what was going on with them, that the person, they stopped at me and they looked at me and he talked about how he was in an apartment and they had cockroaches and he didn't want to have fresh food out there. And he told me about how all he really had was a microwave. And that's why he went to the particular fast food uh, restaurants on a regular basis. I remember pausing for a moment and I said, I don't care about my other patients at this moment. I broke down with him. I said, this is what you need to do. I said, do you have a Target, a Walmart? Do you have anything around you? I said, okay, we're going to get canned beans. We're going to get frozen rice. We're going to get frozen vegetables. So then that way you can heat them up in your microwave mm -hmm. and you can have health-promoting foods in that moment. He was so amazed about this simple concept. He said, Doc, I can eat beans and rice? Uh, and I can do that every day. I'm going to maintain my health? I said, yeah. Absolutely you can. He was so excited. And so the, the, the point of slave food is about meeting people where they're at. Mm -hmm. And many times we come from a place of, I know this already. That's why I'm so proud of what you all are doing. Because unfortunately, I may I'm, people may not like what I'm going to say right now, but growing up in the church, in the Adventist church, I've heard time after time after time, preachers get up and they minimize the power and the impact. They joke about mm. the health message. They joke about eating the fried it. chicken and everything else. And yeah, they mock it, right? Instead of embracing the power that uh, the transformative power that then can allow one to, to cleanse their frontal lobe, allow them to come in and bear a relationship with others and with God. My Lord. Mm. Wow. Yeah, and wow. I would so, say, I think that that is one of the unfortunate things that honestly is happening in the church. Um, there are many truths that are that are being either pushed aside or not taken seriously. But this one is particularly um, unfortunate. The world is looking for this information. We are told that it is the right arm of the gospel. 
Um, and that this is how in the last days when all else fails, this is how we'll be able to reach people. And yet in many of our churches, um, you know, we have a funeral at the church. Um, um, you know, literally the same food that put the person in the casket is the same food the church is serving on Sabbath. Um, and, you know, as a church, people ought to come into church and see the, the ideal not everybody's going to reach the ideal. We understand it is a process. It's it, you're changing your palate is a is a is like is like is a is a is a sanctification process. It does take time, and you have to go through it, and you got to relapse and recover, and all of those different types of things. But the church should, should set a standard. People should come into the church and get the healthiest food possible anywhere uh, uh, in the town when they walk into one of our churches. Wow. We should have community gardens outside of our church. We should be holding yes. miniature farmer's markets if there's none in those wow. neighborhoods. Yes. Wow. We should be holding cooking classes, exercise classes, um, um, nutrition classes. Our churches should be the place in a community say, I can, if I have diabetes, I'm going to go there. Columbus mm. is telling you about his patients. I've had so many patients that I've told them, I want to that, that I've, they've said, listen, I've stopped eating fruit because, I, because my doctor told me I have diabetes, so I can't eat fruit. And I said, I said, that's an unfortunate um, misconception. The truth of the matter is what you need to stop eating is meat because it's the fat from animal products that cause diabetes. Mm. It's not even sugar. It's the fat from animals and processed oils and processed oils in processed foods that causes diabetes. They block your insulin receptor and cause it so that sugar can't enter your cell. Then when you eat sugary food, your sugar just goes up much higher. You know how many people say you sit intelligent and they look at you like you're crazy? Like, wait a minute. You're telling me sugar doesn't cause sugar diabetes? You're telling me that it's the chicken and the meat I'm eating that is why I'm diabetic? I say, not only that, try me. Go six weeks without eating any cheese or or meat products, and I want you to come back and we check your sugar again and see what happens. Wow. And if someone wow. is able to stick to that, their diabetes will get better. That's a, It's a wow. scientific fact. Unless they're so far gone that they just can't make any insulin, their diabetes will get better. That is a liberation from the plantation. When you realize that, in fact, you can make choices that set you free from the shackles of the food industry, the pharmaceutical industry, the hospital industry, all along along that continuum that keeps you um, chained, basically, to this world, to the point where you get to dialysis where three times a week you actually have to go and actually sit in a building and have something take your blood run out of you and through a machine for three hours. What we're saying is that there's liberation in following God's steps in what he has told us. In the spiritual realm, we know that's true. It is also true in the physical, nutritional world as well. All right, so let me ask you this, too. Um, Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, please. No, I was going to say that this this slave food project, the SDA health message, uh, the correlation, the overlap, are, are the same thing or slave food project addressing some other things that the health message for the, from the Adventist Church doesn't address. Let, uh, let I me, say let, I me add, so. let me go ahead, go ahead, Columbus. I want you to answer that, Eric. I'm just all I want to say is this: what I'd like to see each church do is to be a mini blue zone to Whoa. create black blue zones uh-huh. that hmm. your neighborhood, your spheres. We have all these churches. Why are we not embracing our message? I don't just mean the message of of nutrition. What I mean are keystone habits. Studies have shown that through prayer, through meditation, it stimulates the frontal lobe, which helps lay the foundation for better habits. Studies mm-hmm. have shown that by being active. And I don't even mean doing CrossFit and running around. I just mean non-exercise activity thermogenesis. When you set what Dr. Walsh mentioned about getting out there and having a, a community farm, 
all of a sudden now your activity for picking the, the weeds and, and plucking the fruit, you're actually being active. That when you begin to, to, to use love as a verb instead of a noun mm. in your community, this is once again building the concept of, of, of keystone habits. The food, nutrition at the center core, a portion of it, intimacy, to allow people a, a place of relief when they're dealing with issues of stress, when they're dealing with issues of depression, that's there of being able to communicate. We were speaking about this just very issue last night is that men oftentimes don't have intimate relationships where they can communicate about their fears, mm -hmm. about their health issues, about their families with one another. That when you begin True. to do these things and then emphasizing sleep and emphasizing laughter, that these things are important. And we can, on our own, as Adventists, as church, Adventists and non-Adventists, build black blue zones. That's our goal. That's the overlap. That's the sweet spot. And let me say that what we do is broader than the health message. Uh, because the health message um, really speaks to what you do. Um, but we speak to why you why why we're in the condition we're in in the first place. So yeah. as African Americans, we speak to the fact that we are a stressed people. Um, that Americans in general. So if you black, white, uh, blue, or brown in America, um, you're stressed out. This is a stressful country to live in. What I want you to what, what what's important though is that there's another layer of stress on African Americans, and that's race. Um, the experience I had in high school colored my whole life. You know, I went. I took my wife. We were going to go buy, looking for a new washer and dryer. I walked into a um, appliance store in a predominantly all-white, very liberal town I live in. And let me tell you something. I, one of the dudes that that work in that store. When I walked in the store, I, I thought the dude was going to run under the desk and hide. You know what I mean? He looked so afraid of me when I walked into the store. Um, yeah. And you know, now understand from what I've experienced in the past. You know, there's a certain amount of stress that I get inherently when I feel a microaggression like that, you know, where I see in his face what I know mm -hmm. I see in his face. And then some people say, well, you're just making it up. But even if I am, if, if it's perceived, it still raises my cortisol levels. Yeah. Um, this slave food goes beyond the health message because when a lot of the, the um, you know, the programs like the CHIP program and other programs come into our churches, you know, they're just saying, look, do this, do this, do this, do this, and don't do this. <laughs> when we go in, we're saying, listen, there's a reason that this yes. mess exists in our communities. Uh, this is not by chance. This was intentional. And if you, if we marched um, so we could vote, and you see the, how important our vote was this week, we marched so that our children could go to school um, wherever we wanted them to go to school and on and on and on. This is just another vestige of the oppression that is America to literally um, put you in a community with flu food swamps, which is um, nutrient sparse calorie dense food organizations and establishment and food deserts where there's no um, high nutrient, low calorie food options that are whole food and plant based, throw you in a neighborhood like that, stress you out um, and then take away opportunity from you. And then of course, offer you honey buns and, and, mm. and, and, um, Twinkies and, and, and all kind of stuff and Takis and all of these kind of things for you to eat, um, knowing that, as Dr. Batista always says, stressed equals desserts spelled backwards. Mm. The reason in our health message one of the New Start T's is trust in God is because in trusting in God, you begin to fight stress. But you also have to fight it from a nutritional perspective because if you eat the way America expects us to eat, what most of us think is normally eating. I mean, literally, we think poisoning ourselves is normal 
Um, wow. Because we will eat food that is literally garbage. And by doing that, we stress our bodies. The health message doesn't necessarily reach that far out. It doesn't speak to the conspiracy around our health. Um, and so we want to inform folk that Revelation 18 is real. Babylon has set up a system to sell its, its products. And the merchants of the earth, if you read Revelation 18, weep and cry at the fall of Babylon. And what we are telling you, what you pastors preach spiritually to come out of Babylon, we're telling you nutritionally to come out of Babylon. Wow. You've wow. got to come out of Babylon in both wow. respects. That's why Daniel and the three Hebrew boys would not eat of the king's food, not oh. eat his meat nor his wine. Why? Because they had been told from Solomon in the book of Proverbs. He said, if you are a man given to appetite, when you sit at a ruler's table, put a knife to your throat if you're a man given to appetite. Because his delicacies are deceitful. In other words, the kings and the leaders of this world will control you through food, is what Solomon mm -hmm. was telling them. And when they got to Babylon, they did not partake in their food. And we as Adventists were living in the, on the very edges of the, uh, of the knife of time need to know that how we eat matters if we're going to stand in the time of trouble. Wow. 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 This well, is heavy. This is good stuff, kinds, though. I'm getting, I'm getting all kinds of uh, texts, private texts on my phone from folks <laughs> who are watching, and uh, they're making jokes about uh, what they eat, what they don't eat, things like that. It is, it is truly um, um, a, a, a revelation to some and to others um, it's kind of like, yeah, that is true. I've heard that before. Um, have you, what, what kind of pushback have you gotten? Um, I know we talked about people who have been receiving this. Well, any kind of pushback you have gotten in the message that you have, you have seen since um, doing the Slave Food Project? The, the, only, the only pushback, if there's pushback, so to speak, is that for those who had not had the opportunity to hear the entirety of the message, they questioned the word, the name, the title, slave yeah. food, because of it being jarring for them. Mm. And once they understood conceptually that slave food, is, it's a double entendre. It, it, it speaks to a historical aspect, mm -hmm. but it also speaks to our current situation. Mm -hmm. It speaks to the stress, as, as Eric brought up, and stress on multiple layers, and the unique stressor in answering that question of why do black people in America, live sicker and die sooner than everyone else. That's really the that's really the point of this this project. Yeah, and I, I wanna I wanna also add when we were talking when we were building um, our time together in preparation, you brought out a point about um, this topic and social justice. Can you elaborate a little bit on that um, in terms of how we we look at social justice as one thing, but you made a correlation of mm -hmm. the connection between nutrition and social justice. Well, I mean, we, we spoke to it a little bit already. I mean, if you think about what what is put in our neighborhoods and what is not allowed in other neighborhoods, um, you realize that from the, right out of the gate, there's a social justice issue. Um, the, health is determined by what we call the social determinants of health. You know, if you're st in public health, they say, you know, if you're standing on the riverbed and you keep seeing bodies going by, you can try and keep jumping in the river and pulling the bodies out, or you can go up the river and find out who keeps who's throwing the bodies in the river wow. and stop them from doing it. And um, social justice around nutrition says, listen, for, for a lot of us, we're begging the Democrats, hoping the Republicans will go to universal health care. We're, we're hoping that, they, you know, we'll change our health care system. Changing our health care system, if they paid for everything, wouldn't stop you from getting sick. That's right. Um, mammograms don't stop breast cancer and colonoscopies don't stop 
um, uh, colon cancer. I mean, unless they happen to catch a polyp right on time. These are ways for us to find disease after it started. What we have done in America is that we have confused health care with health. Hmm. Um, and it's not the same thing. And no one is really ad, uh, advocating from a, from the government standpoint, like you just mentioned about the Canadian government, how do we make our people actually healthy? And we do that by actually making sure that from a social justice perspective, our people have what they need. Um, and you can determine life expectancy in this country just based on zip code. I don't know if that's what I saw the word zip code. Up, but I don't know. I didn't read the whole thing. But we know that that zip code in America is more important than your genetic code. Um, and that's a social justice issue. Um, and we, you know, so you have to follow all of these things see all of these things in order to fix all of these things. Um, and somebody's got to go upstream. Somebody's go, yeah. got to go back beyond the hospital and start pulling people out of the water. And, 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 the, and the thing is that 2020 has been a unique year. It's been a troubling year for all of us. And it's really uncovered, as I always kind of say in other talks, is that it's uncovered America's dirty little secret. What's come to light is, number one, is this the stark health disparities that we speak about. The fact that we live sicker and die sooner, that we were attacked by the coronavirus, it's not because it was preferential against black people, but it's because we live sicker because of our environments, because of the stress, because of the racial discriminatory stress, because of our nutritional stress from food deserts and food swamps that encompass our, our areas. Right. So, so when you look at that and then now 2020 also brought out really the amplified racial tensions that are there that now because of just like Eric said, the perceived, just perceiving. Right. So when I see the, the travesties that are going on in the news media about African-American men and women, I see myself that that can happen to me because it doesn't matter if I'm chief of cardiology, if I've been there for 12 years, it doesn't matter if I'm an interventional quali- uh, uh, cardiologist or I'm the chair of the regional quality committee where I do any of these things. When I'm driving in my car, I'm a black man. Mm. And so at the end of the day, I perceive all these things I perceive and it comes in and it causes devastation with me, leading to increased high blood pressure, leading to increased propensity towards cancer and towards all of these detriments. And so when we look at what America has uncovered and we talk about justice, how can we have social justice without starting with food justice? How when we look in Ferguson, Missouri, mm-hmm. where, where a killing happened years ago, that there's a huge zip code health disparities of nearly 18 years. When you turn the corner, it tells you that there is a major problem that has to be addressed. And it starts with us and demanding because we had on, on our show, on, on our Slave Food Project show, someone from Africa, and he, he made a, a, a powerful statement. He said, the business of business Business is business. business. (laughs) The business of business Business is business. business. It's not personal. It's business. It's about dollars. Mm -hmm. We have to, just like we vote, we have to vote with our dollars and demand a difference. We have to insist upon a different mindset, a different uh, uh, resources to come into our neighborhoods. Is what's it was what's predicated upon our success. It, it sounds like then that if the business of business is business, and if the the colonial mindset is is geared towards making money off of people groups who will buy into what they are selling, then then there might be other people groups besides the black community who might be susceptible to this colonial type of a mindset or this approach. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we, we see it. We see it impact many. Our Native Americans, 
they're hugely suffering as a result of, of this. We see it. In, uh, we see it inside of our our Hispanic population. Now, what's Latinos, interesting about the Hispanic population, population, yeah, is that they have what's called this 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 paradox that despite perhaps having an increased amount of disease burden, they still live a little bit longer. And so and so uh, a lot of researchers have hypothesized: is it because of the resiliency that's built because of community? Whereas we have this historical fragmentation with the way in which we were brought over to this country and, and have this strife internal, and we haven't been able to kind of bond together consistently, we don't know the exact answer. But what we know is we know that the same issues that impact our community, the same message is applicable to other, other communities. Wow. This is awesome. Listen, um, we, we're coming quickly to the, to the, to our time. But um, I saw a comment earlier on, and I, I think it was from, um, oh, I lost the name, uh, but I wanted to call her out because it was a great question. And she said, she said, I, I've been hearing all of this stuff, a lot of this stuff for a long time. And I think what was implied was, and I believe it, but even though I've heard it for a long time, I've known a lot of it and I believe it, it's getting from the I know it and I believe it to the I do it. Um, or or I, I execute these, these these lifestyle choices. How would you how would you counsel somebody who wants to do better, eat better, live better, exercise better, be healthier? And they already have a lot of information, but they're trying to make that transition from what I know to what I do. I would say uh, for me, who, you know, since we've embarked upon this, God has blessed me to really take off a lot of weight. Um, You know, I did like uh, three and a half miles with my wife this morning. Um, It was a beautiful day here in Connecticut. I, I, you know, I'm building out a gym in the basement because they keep closing and opening the gym. Um, And I I just believe in this message uh, more than anything. And it's very difficult was very difficult for me to really make the move at first because of the processed veggie meats, because tater tots are, are, are vegan. Um, you know, so it wasn't just, it wasn't that I didn't know, but you know, you jump to another place of comfort and you stay there. Um, but it's, I'll say what I say in a lot of my, my sermons. First of all, if you constantly look at yourself or at your sin, you will never gain victory over either. If you constantly look at yourself or at your sin, you will never gain victory hmm. over either. Wow. The secret to gaining victory over sin is to keep your eyes fixed on Christ. And yep. the problem for many of us is we are working so hard to save ourselves, like disciples in the boat, while we leave Christ asleep on the pillow in the hmm. back of our minds. Mercy. Um, hmm. So the first thing is you've got to make Christ the forefront. I can say this to this audience because uh, you, this is a pastor's roundtable. In our, in our in slave food talk, I, I, I kind of I, I, I tone it down a little bit, but I'm going to say it straight here. First of all, Jesus must become the focus. Revela- uh, I'm sorry, Romans chapter 7 um, is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. It says, the, the good I would I do not, and that which I would not, that I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body mm. of this death? Dr. James Kyle, in a, in a health and temperance message I heard him preach in California many moons ago, said your body will conspire to kill you. Mercy. If you give yourself everything you desire, it will kill you, whether that's sexually, whether that's food, whether that's alcohol, whatever your thing is. If you give yourself everything you want, it will, your body will conspire to kill you. Now, here's, what, here, here's why this is important. You cannot break the addiction if you're not getting enough sleep. 
sleep has been proven to be one of the things you need to get willpower wow. to control appetite the next day. So if you're not sleeping and you try wow. and do this, you're going to fail. Hydration is another one. If you're not drinking enough water and staying hydrated, you're going to try and do this and fail. We know that alcohol increases the appetite and it makes it harder to control. Salt increases the appetite, it makes it harder to control. Processed foods, especially processed sugar, makes the appetite harder to control, as do um, unhealthy fats and the fats that are processed in oils um, and animal products. So if you want to change your appetite, sometimes what you got to do is come out of the kitchen, change the things around it. You are better mm. at controlling your appetite if you're exercising every day. You're better at controlling your appetite um, if you are, if you are um, drinking enough water and getting enough sleep. And if you're leaving your stress at the foot of the cross. So before you even try and make the lifestyle change in the kitchen, you got to make it in your prayer closet. You got to make it yeah. uh, in, your, in your sleeping room. You got to make it in your, uh, uh, in, on your exercise bike or out on your sidewalk. All of those changes also need to be made. Then you can start walking back some things in your diet. I always say start with sugary sweetened beverages. Um, if you don't smoke cigarettes, start with sugary sweetened beverages and then begin to move backwards by getting rid of the animal products out of your life Then be, and, and at the same time begin shifting out of the processed foods. But don't just do that. Load up on the vegetables and fruits that you love. Mm-hmm. I love I've, yeah. when I was a kid man my uncle gave us okra we'd sit there for hours he said you can't if you my Jamaican uncle if you get up and they need all the okra I'm gonna whoop you we'd be sitting there in front of that okra till four for four five eleven o'clock at night falling asleep sitting over a plate of okra man I look I love okra now man I I, I could eat okra every single day because mm-hmm. your palate is trans it's it's transformable and let me say this, yeah. from a spiritual perspective, our palate is like our personalities. We can be changed by the sanctifying presence of Christ, just like our palate within two weeks can be changed by being exposed to that which is good and right on our plates. Uh, wow. So if you are having a struggle with this, start outside the kitchen, put Christ first, and then begin to introduce those foods that actually will transform your life. I'm going to add just one thing, one thing to that, too, as well, which is hard to add anything to it because Eric encapsulated our whole entire plant description that you can kind of find. But one of the things that's powerful that I've found in my readings is and there's a lot of different ways when it talks to habit formation, but really taking atomic habit uh, perspective that James Clear brings out in one of his books, Atomic Habits. You're going to have achievable things. So if it's exercise, as Eric talks about starting outside, something simple, five minutes. I could could walk for five minutes. I could exercise five minutes. Do something that's achievable. Mm -hmm. I'm going to pray for for one minute or give my devotion time if you're not doing any. I'm going to go ahead and choose small amounts. And then what I want you to do is I want you to get a calendar, an old school kindergarten style rewards calendar. I want you to put an X on that calendar every time you achieve it. And the goal is not to miss more than two days. Once you start to get this this habit loop going, and now you're starting to see this 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 sequence, you're going to want to continue. You're not going to want to break the streak. And now it begins. But I'm going to add something else. Don't just say I'm going to eat more vegetables. That's a cop out. You may say, like Eric said when he was a kid, he didn't like okra. I want you to be very specific. Is it going to be romaine lettuce? Amen. Is it going Amen. to be collard greens? Is it going to be uh, Brussels sprouts? What type of fruit? Is it going to be an apple? Is it going to be berries? How much of it? Don't say I'm going to eat a pound of it when you haven't eaten any. Make it achievable. I'm only mm-hmm. going to eat half a cup. 
of, of cooked. I'm going to do this and you can, once you commit to it, you have to hold yourself accountable. The last thing I'm going to say, an old time saying that's out there, association brings about assimilation. Ah. Mm. Come on. Mm. Yes, wow. sir. Yeah. Watch who you're hanging around with. Watch who you're spending mm. time with. Mm-hmm. Look at their habits and their what they're bringing you in, in oh. front of. And those yes. will shape potentially the behavior that you begin to manifest. It's like they say in Jamaica, if you lay with dog, your rise would flee. <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen, listen, I'm going to, I'm going to. Before, before you go there, uh, uh, Dr. Columbus, you, you, you said something. And, and for the techie heads that we have listening, um, you talked about using a calendar. But nowadays, the wearable um, tech. Absolutely. The Apple Watch. Of, of, yeah, the Apple Watch in, uh, in particular, I have jumped on the fact that my Apple Watch helps me to close the rings. And every yes. time I close the ring, I get a, a, I get a message saying, you did a good job. When I don't close the ring, it says, hey, man, you just do a little more and you can close the ring. So it, 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 it is possible to get the kind of, 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 of celebration or, or promotion of, of doing good, even without tech, that will help us yes. to achieve achievable goals. Uh, let me say this before you before you switch up. My wife is on sixty something days straight on her Apple Watch, and um, she's she's lost about uh, forty pounds um, uh, because of the the, the 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 passion she's gotten around making sure she closed those rings. Um, so you're right that that is powerful because it's it's a great way to motivate yourself and it's doable. It's something that is doable. Yeah. Yes. Wow. Well, I, I know that a lot in our audience, uh, listen, we were, I think, in our first 10, 10 minutes and, and somebody was already asking for, for part two um, of this of this discussion. <laughs> so right out the gate. And we know we could go on and on, but our, but our time is, is, is fleeting. Um, what I'd like for, for you to do um, quickly, I'm going to switch this screen and, and just tell us just a little bit about um, what we see here. Um, you've got several different platforms where people can go and find out more about the Slave Food Project. Um, talk to us about these handles that we see here on the screen. Yeah, no, thanks for promoting it. Once again, thanks for having us on. Right now, what we're doing, what we've committed to is we've committed to producing content. And what 2020 has told us is that it doesn't have to be us traveling all over around, around the world, around the country, but we want to go ahead and put the information out there. And so that's what we're doing. We're hosting um, uh, not only our conferences, we're hosting conversations that we're having very similar to this. And so we're doing that on Facebook and YouTube and the joint and simultaneous broadcasts. And on slavefood.org, that's where we're trying to start to produce content. All of the videos will be uploaded on slavefood.org. It gives you a chance to become part of the movement that you can go ahead and you can register, you can ask questions, you can even seek to volunteer as well. Uh, we recently started branching out into uh, Instagram with with some of the interns who've been who've been willing to kind of join up with our team as we're starting to build this out. Right now, Dr. Walsh and I are really working uh, feverishly on trying to get a book out by 2021 oh, nice. that we love to drop. Um, that's something we have control of, but we're not losing sight of our ultimate goal, which is to produce this into a docu series as the first of many series. But this one is targeting our community, which is the African-American community. So if somebody wants to support that um, by, by I'm assuming there's going to be some financial needing you know, to backing like the documentary or whatever. If somebody wanted to say, here, here's here's a thousand dollars. Here's five dollars. Here's 50. How could, could how could they get in touch with you to, to help you in that in that regard? 
Definitely. So they can reach out to us via slayfood.org and email us that way. We have a nonprofit that we've started up uh, that's been started up, Healthy Heart Nation. We also have um, our LLC that uh, Dr. Walsh and I have jointly, Trujevity LLC, um, that folks can go ahead and donate to and through the nonprofit have return. And the goal is, once again, is to promote information and education, this specific education. Man. All right. Wow. This wow. is wow. I love it. Fascinating. Listen. This is, yeah. Listen. This is you, awesome. Pastor Paul, you talked about part two. We need to do a part three, a part four. I mean, like just once hey. a quarter. Let's get back and let's yeah. <laughs> let's talk to this is, Dr. Baptiste and Dr. Walsh yeah. and see what's going on. Um, I mean, we, by we, the way, in the I was going to say we, in the chat, uh, if you could, if the people that are viewing in the chat and you're on the chat, if you could put down something that you're going to do as a result of this show. You know, because we want we want to motivate us to change. So if there's something you're going to do, you're going to exercise more. Dr. Baptiste mentioned a lot of things. Hey, you're going to just um, look around at your environment and, and try to change the environment. Um, you're going to say, hey, you know what? I'm not only going to be a vegan, but I'm going to do a lifestyle change. Right. Because I think we're talking about a lifestyle change. So just put something in the chat. Encourage us, because I think that we yeah, can all be better people. Definitely. We talked about collaboration and we talk about bringing them back maybe we can do a collaboration uh, with the slave food project uh, dr baptiste dr walsh and the passes roundtable can sponsor something that not just a dialogue but something some training or something i would love for us to do something like that because that that gives us a sense of not just talking about it but actually doing something about it right. would y'all gentlemen be open to that kind of a collaboration absolutely absolutely for sure and uh, I just want to add my thanks uh, to the guests. Um, I have just, I, I'm struggling today, guys. I just want you to know that this has been, um, it's not one of those things where I say, well, I've never heard it before. I've heard a lot of what we shared today, um, but it's, it's, it's the doing. Um, it's the doing. So I want you to know that I've been motivated. My wife is probably shouting uh, at home. Uh, I am motivated uh, to to make a change in my life. So thank you, Dr. Columbus, Dr. Eric, for for coming and motivating me. Uh, if you didn't motivate Pastor Paul or Pastor Henry, you motivated me today to do something different so that I can be around for a while. Listen, my wife has right. been watching slave food videos from the website all week. And even last <laughs> night, she's talking about what she's not going to do no more. She's going to do this and do that. Listen, we appreciate you guys and your ministry. You, you have touched our lives. Um, and and yeah. we know that what you're doing is going to reach and touch the lives of, of, of those who are watching today. And we just want to say thank you uh, so much for allowing the Lord to use you in this mighty way. You know, one of the things that I, we, we didn't have time to get in this might be another follow-up is that COVID-19 I mean that's what's on everybody's mind right now and 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 that's the big thing and and how can maybe what what's happening what, what you guys are doing how does that impact um how our communities uh address right. and face and cope with deal with prevent even um this COVID-19 thing so so hopefully we can get you guys back and we can start talking about even some of those things for those of you that have joined us today on all of these different platforms we thank you for joining us we appreciate you if you have not subscribed to 
the YouTube channel. We want you to do that as well. We keep promising you every now and then we're going to put up some, some content on the YouTube channel that you will not find in a live stream. So you want to make sure that when you, when you subscribe to the YouTube channel that you also click that little bell because that's going to give you notice whenever we do put any of that type of a content up. Thank you again so very much. Roger, we practiced this during the week. How are we going to do? We are just so glad to have our guests be with us. We thank you for joining us here at the Pastors Roundtable, where we aim to keep ministry <laughs> relevant, aiming. resourced, and real. And real. Right. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Next week. <laughs>